Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte. I am joined today by a very close personal friend of the Rock the Promo champion, Broseph Joe Broakley, a, fe a fellow Northern California native, wrestler, commentator, broadcaster, host, everything in between. Say it with me, bitches, AJ Kirsch. Wow, man. Hell of an intro. You've been taking notes from Broseph, haven't you? I have. I have. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, coming into something like this, you know, it's like, I always get nervous talking to people at first, uh, but when you've been actually been interviewed by Larry King before me, it's kind of like, well, I'm never going to live up to that. So, not with that attitude, you're not. You never know. I mean, yeah, this could be this could be this could be the one that does it. There you go. Um, so, how are you doing? I know uh, COVID is has wreaked havoc on the indie wrestling world, uh, but you worst. still managed to get yourself out there lately, which is nice. Thank you. Yeah, I mean. When when gigs pop up and they are very few and far between nowadays for obvious reasons, it's it's nice um, to feel busy again, to feel like I have something to do and somewhere to be and fingers crossed somebody paying me to do the thing wherever it is I'm going to be. Um, and then it's it's a bit of a crash afterwards because I'm used to being super busy and, you know, on grinding and all that other stuff and just having shows and shoots and, you know, waking up super early to work out and going on no sleep for like two or three days, just so I can feel okay about crashing out for like two or three days. Like, and when that's not there and all of a sudden I have something, I have a taste of that. And then I come back to being like, well, now what am I going to do? So it's, it's, again, it's, it's really nice. I'm very fortunate to have uh, some of the opportunities that I've had lately, but I'm now, as you and I are having this discussion, I'm just kind of in this place of. Yeah, I know. I know the feeling uh, you feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's that dopamine hit that rush of the crowd that you're not getting at all. And it's like, why? Well, it's interesting you bring up the rush of the crowd because obviously the crowd is a huge part of the show and they make it far more exhilarating when they're actually there. But just being on a stage in front of almost nobody scratched that itch for me. Mm. So it's not just, it's not just that fan interaction, but again, I can't, I cannot overstate how important that energy is getting that energy from a live crowd, but in being away from that for so long, it was enough just being on stage under lights performing that scratched that itch again. Yeah. And plus, you know, the ability to, you know, express yourself creatively. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're used to doing that on stage in front of people and, uh, and that's not there, like nowadays I'm like, I'll just take on stage, like on stage, we'll start there. We know we can't have people yet, but that's one of the things that's actually keeping me going though, is like, when we can have people, oh my God. Like that first hood slam back especially is just going to be, oh, I'm just getting chills just thinking about it. It's just going to be electric and explosive. And for everybody in that building, probably the most anticipated moment of the entire pandemic. Yeah, I think I'm definitely going to attempt to make that uh, my a show I go to for sure. Uh, I was thinking about that the other day, like how many times, you know, in the last few months before everything shut down, when I would say like, oh, I'll go to the next indie show. I'll check out the next one. I'll check out the next yeah. one. And then all of a sudden there's just 
No. Right. We don't know when that next one's going to be. And, no. uh, you know, I was just talking about the first Hood Slam back. That might be one of the furthest shows away just because there are so many people crammed into such a tiny space, which, of course, is the most dangerous place for for COVID. So, you know, I'm definitely not holding my breath, but I am keeping that in the back of my mind where I'm just like, ooh, man you are going to be able to feel the tremors from the East coast from Oakland, California. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go, let's go, let's go a little bit. We we're talking a little bit about hood slam. Obviously you are the voice, the commentary of hood slam. You've also wrestled there a few times as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's go back. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, wrestling in NorCal in general. And far, as far as PCW, all pro wrestling, all that, because, I love PCW. Like we put out a match on here that uh, was nobody could find, and uh, it was so it was MPT and Cameron Clyburn mm-hmm. versus Scotty Aboot and James Hate from 2004 at Oakland Wrestling Alliance. Uh, wow! Yeah, and Clyburn hit me up, and he was like, "I've been looking for this match for years. Thank you so <laughs> much for posting it." And I just thought about like all those guys at PCW that were so, and still are so good, that mixed high flying mixed technical wrestling. And it was like one of the best matches I've ever seen. And it's an indie match. And I'm like, this could stand up anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk a little bit about the style that you got at PCW and how that kind of evolved going forward. I can't say I was ever seeking out to learn a specific style. Um, I, I I wanted to be a sound worker. I wanted to be safe. I wanted my moves to look good, to be crisp and quick when I wanted them to be, but also fluid and um, just look like I imagine, look like the way I would want them to look if I were watching me, which is something that I keep in mind a lot. Like when I'm wrestling or, I mean, I'm not wrestling much anymore, but when I'm performing, I'm just like, if I were watching this show, what would I want to see me do or what would entertain me? Because as somebody who's, who was first bit by the wrestling bug in 1996 and, you know, still happily infected to this very day, uh, you get pretty jaded if you've been watching wrestling for a long time. And so it's like, as, as a performer, I'm just kind of like, what, what would I want to see me do in a way that would keep not that would get and keep my attention. And I wish I had that same mentality back when I first started training, but like when I was first coming up and, and just learning about the, the mechanics of pro wrestling at that point, I'm just, again, trying to do it safely, trying to do it um, in a way that it makes the crowd at least look like that. I know what I'm doing, even if I'm not good at it yet. Um, And as again, I really didn't put a whole lot of thought into my style. I had certain moves that I wanted to do. I wanted to do a top rope elbow drop because Shawn Michaels was, in my opinion, is, in my opinion, the greatest worker of all time. Um, and of course, at the time, I just had this long hair because I wanted to be Shawn Michaels and I had, I didn't know what my voice was as a performer yet. So all I was doing was emulating the people who made me want to be a wrestler, which I think is a pretty common thing when people are still super green. So I wanted to do a top rope elbow. I wanted to do a spear because I was a huge rhino mark and I was like not even 200 pounds. So I had no business doing a spear. I will say, uh, your spear looks good, though. Well, thank you. Uh, there, what there, are you saying? Rhinos doesn't? Rhinos no, looks what I'm amazing. Saying is, I'm saying that most of the time when guys who are not rhino size do a spear, sure. it doesn't look good. But okay, yours, okay. like yours, looks great. Um, Ricky Starks looks his looks great. I yeah, like yeah. there are guys. It, it's very 
you know, most of the time when a smaller guy does a spear, I'm like, all right, but yours is right, good. Right, right. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, and that's like, you know, makes me feel good about every time I threw a spear from like 2005 until whenever. Um, but yeah, so I just had, I just knew moves that I wanted to do as I was coming up in wrestling, but I wanted to also be like the, the more I trained, the more I was like, I need to be able to work with anybody. I need to be able to work with somebody who's like five foot six and 120 pounds or seven feet tall and 300 plus pounds. So I wanted to just get a well-balanced move set and tailor my in-ring style to whoever I was working with. Very nice. And I do love the, uh, on your channel, uh, you doing commentary over your old matches. Uh, I did oh, watch, thanks. I watched especially your first match uh, where you roast your own undercut long hair. Uh. <laughs> so bad. So bad. If anybody's curious about uh, what he's talking about, uh, youtube.com slash AJ, or no, I'm sorry, youtube.com slash I am AJ Kirsch. I posted a bunch of old matches from over the years. Um, and, I mean, going as far back as my very first match, as you just said, uh, a match with Anton Voorhees in 2016 that I'm very proud of. Um, a match with uh, Joey Nuggs, uh, formerly known as Pogo the Clown from XPW mm-hmm. that I'm very proud of. And I did commentary over them. So if you want to check them out, then like shoot commentary, not like, yeah. you know, beautiful arm drag. You know, I'm actually like talking about the what was going through my head during the match. So I appreciate you bringing that up because it was a perfect segue for a plug for my YouTube. Absolutely. And then I like that one and the one you did with uh, Steven Tresario where you're both, uh, you're both shitting on each other and and yourselves at the same time. You're like, oh, oh yeah, look, very, look at these ginger very punches. Very self-deprecating. Yeah, <laughs> right, <at> right. <laughs> well, so Tresario, I mean, he's he's somebody. If I can just put him over real quick, he's still pretty young in wrestling and just like a great gimmick. He's totally into his character. He's uh, a freak athlete, and I'm expecting pretty big things from from Steven Tresario. So if you haven't heard of him. Um, throw it in your Google machine, as Conrad Thompson would say, and, and check out Steven Tresario. He's got a bright future. So let's go over. We're talking a little bit of the commentary stuff. Uh, you know, we talk about the grind. Now you got a real grind because at some point you're doing Hood Slam plus MLW at the time and doing commentary for both and going here, there, and everywhere. Uh, at what point does commentary become like take over as more of a priority? As opposed to what? A priority over what? Over wrestling. Like at the time you were doing commentary oh, for a few point years. in my career. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Um, it was really the promo I cut on Tough Enough on Bill DeMott that was kind of a uh, aha moment for me, um, where it was like if I, I'm now on WWE's radar. Being on Tough Enough for eight out of ten episodes, I am now more on WWE's radar than I ever have been in the past. Like they, they're aware that I exist. They've seen me work. They've seen me talk. I've been on their programming. Like they know me now. So I still wanted to be a pro wrestler at the time. And this is around 2011, middle of 2011. I still wanted to be a pro wrestler with WWE, but that promo that I cut on tough enough got me thinking if they don't sign me in the near future, it wouldn't hurt to have a backup plan within wrestling. And so with that confidence that I got from that promo and thinking to myself, huh, maybe I could contribute orally to pro wrestling rather than strictly physically. Um, that's when I started getting into more commentary. And, you know, I rode the popularity wave after Tough Enough as much as I could. 
but it was kind of creatively stifling as a performer because on Tough Enough, I was just real life AJ Kirsch. And I don't think any, I mean, maybe some people are into pro wrestling to be just themselves, but I didn't want to be just myself. I wanted to perform. I wanted to be a character. And so it was when, you know, going back to Hood Slam, I got in touch with Hood Slam in early 2012. And uh, Sam was just like, you want to do commentary tonight? And I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot as just myself, AJ Kirsch. And then it was super fun. It was great. And so I kept coming back month after month, just hopping on commentary as myself. And then it wasn't long when I was like, you know what? I'm going to need a gimmick if I'm going to stick around next to the likes of Drugs Bunny and El Chupacabra and Dark mm. Sheik and the Stoner Brothers and Pooh Jack and all these ridiculous over-the-top characters. And that's when I came up with Brosif, which there was, going back to your point, there was some blurring of the lines between wrestling and commentary at the time because I was also Guile from Street Fighter at Hood Slam for a number of months before Brosif uh, became a thing. But the short answer to your question after you just got the long story was around 2011, 2012, shortly after Tough Enough. And again, it was that promo on Bill DeMott that just kind of left him dumbfounded where I'm like, okay, I think I know where my contributions are most valuable in pro wrestling. Yeah. Cause his reaction, it was after you left the room already. Right. So you didn't, did you see that? Did you not see that until it was aired on TV? I well, So I, I set the mic down in front of him and like gave him that side eye glance and it was as I was exiting the room that I think he was like, what the fuck? That was okay. good. So it wasn't until I saw the show that I saw that reaction, but I kind of saw it in his face where he's like, where in the fuck did that come from? Yeah, there was a there was a moment when he's like when you're talking to him and you could see like he's trying not to like game his poker face. <laughs> but he's trying it's, to it's no breaking. sell it. He was trying to no sell it. And I yeah. think. I, I legit think I caught him by by surprise, and it was it was my shining moment on the show, and you know it wasn't enough to keep me around because I had had some rough days up to that point. But to uh, you know to to win that skills challenge when I did, and to get the Rock's seal of approval, who was looking on, um, yeah, that was the highlight of my career up to that point. Yeah, and then the good thing is, uh, you know, you recently got a chance to go and wrestle at AEW Dark. Um, the good thing is you're a fitness nut, so you kept in shape. Yeah. And yeah, you looked phenomenal on there, especially that kip Thank up you. you did. That kip up you did was like, that's a smooth. Thank you. Thank very you. Nice and that was one of the things where I was just like, oh my God, like, it, let's, how is this going to look? Like, I, I, I knew I could do it because I have kept in really good, like, self care is such a high priority for me. Like, I've watched what I've, eaten during COVID. I work out every day still, even though there is no gym and God, how I miss the gym, but I'm doing just fine without it. But that was one of the things that I just haven't done in such a long time. And I was just kind of like, I wonder how this is going to look. I knew I could do it. So I did it, you know, earlier in the day when, when people were just kind of hanging out and going over their stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to try it once. If I can't do it once, I'm not going to do it. So I was like stretching out and everything. I had some space around me did the nip up and I was like, I felt good about that. I'm going to do it. Let's see how it looks. And so I'm very happy to hear that it looked good. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Uh, overall, just everything you, you stuck out. Uh, I love that you guys talk trash about the whole match. I thought that was fantastic. Have to. By the way. Yeah. Have to. Yeah. It was great. Um, so let's go into a little bit of your mindset when, you know, you get the call, Oh, you're going to go and wrestle. Uh, you tweeted about it. You said, you know, sick, it'll be your sixth match in the last five years. You know, when do you think, 
obviously you're a very confident dude. You have to be to, to do, have the kind of career you've had so far. But at the same time, you know, everyone gets those little moments where you're like, oh, shoot. Uh, like, am I good to go right now? Like, am I good for this right now? Like, what, it, what was your uh, thought process during that? Yeah, I had that thought. Um, you know, if you're only wrestling an average of one match a year over the last several years, um, to not have that thought, I feel like, is to, I don't know, maybe be a little bit arrogant or overconfident. I mean, and, you know, I never had a... I'm on the road 270, 300 days a year schedule where I was wrestling all that much. Like I would cram as much wrestling as I could when I was doing it as often as possible from, you know, 2005 until about 2012 when I started pivoting towards commentary. Um, but I've, you know, the last several years have been me checking off boxes on my bucket list of people I want to wrestle before I make peace with the idea of never wrestling again. And so that's why I wrestled Steven Tresario and Anton Voorhees. And I wrestled my trainer, Mr. Primetime, one last time. And um, we, I had told that amazing story with Coach Joey Nuggs, which to this day I'm just super, super proud of because we got everybody. Um, and uh, Which is on my YouTube, by the way. So if you want to check that out, hopefully it piqued your interest. Um, and I actually, before the, the pandemic hit, I had – Myself as Brosif and Mike Rain, who's just a staple on in West Coast wrestling, uh, he has his character at Hood Slam, James C. And we were on, we like booked a six month lead up to what would have been a match between myself and Mike at the tenth anniversary of Hood Slam. And so the fact that that didn't happen was absolutely heartbreaking. And that was going to be. After that match, I wanted to be at peace with not wrestling again. Um, so I thought that was going to be it. So I didn't think I'd be wrestling in 2021. So when I was told I was going to wrestle, my first thought was like, oh, man, like, I know I'm fit. Like, I know I'm in shape. I know my cardio is going to be there. But is is my in-ring performance going to be there? And, uh, you know, I in working with uh, Casey Navarro, who I tagged with, and we went up against Top Flight and – they were all, they're all in the prime of their careers. They're like, I mean, top flight, they're like 19 and 21 or something. Yeah. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, fuck you. You're kids. Like I'm 37. I'm almost twice your age. Like, God damn it. Um, in jest, of course, I was kidding. But like, you know, they're, they're kids. They're in the prime of their career. They're like as athletic right now as they might ever be. And so... I was just hoping to not shit the bed. If I'm being honest, like I was just hoping to look like I, as far as the wrestling goes, I was just hoping to look like I belong in there with them. And I felt like I did. And I've gotten some very positive feedback that affirms uh, at least my assessment of, of how it looked. I wasn't going nearly as fast as they were, but I, that I don't, that's not how I work. I'm not there to go like, bing, 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 bing. I was like, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to slow things down. I'm going to let things register and uh, just do the best I can. Yeah. And I will say, I also appreciate the fact that they, uh, when, when they have what you would call enhancement talent matches, uh, they're not squashes, you know, right. you, you've been there before where it's like, I'm not even going to get a lick of offense in. Meanwhile, right. on AEW dark, Danny Limelight did a Canadian destroyer off the middle rope onto Brian cage. And it's like, right. right. Well, it, that's that's one of the things I love about AEW is that Dark is not just enhancement talent. Dark is like it gives a chance for everybody 
to shine. And because they know they're, I mean, AEW, they're aware of how hard people work just to get a look, just to get a shot at being on some type of type of TV. And I'm, I'm grouping dark in with TV, mm-hmm. even though it's on YouTube, but it's still AEW programming. And so people just have to scratch and claw endlessly just to get a couple minutes in the ring. And so, yeah, every now, I mean, there are still some one-sided matches here and there, but you're going to get, you're going to get a pretty competitive matchup every single time. And like, I don't, I'm really encouraging people not to sleep on AEW dark because there are so many matches and so many fresh faces that you might find your new favorite wrestler. Yeah. I I always like, you know, as an indie wrestling nerd, you know, the first thing I do is I look up the lineup on dark and I'm like, who do I know? It's going to be, right? <laughs> you right. know, who and am I, see, I like, familiar with? Who's getting yeah. a shot or who's, who's popping up who I haven't heard from in a while. Yeah. And then you got it's dudes fun. like, you got dudes like Will Hobbs who just took that and immediately boom, just right. Stepping stone right up. And he deserved it because he looks amazing and he was amazing. So hey, yeah. Way it works. yeah, he's right where he belongs. Yeah. Uh, so let's go into a little bit of the, uh, the voiceover work stuff. Uh, you're what you're doing is you're you're wearing, you're a man of many hats, you know. You, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And was that a conscious decision on your end to be like, I need to get a lot of different, you know, uh, cards up my sleeve, or is it just kind of naturally happen? Um, more the former. Like again, it was after Tough Enough, where I'm like, okay, I'm on WWE's radar. What can I do outside of wrestling to make me look like as valuable a commodity as possible? And at the time, and I mean, today even more so, they need their talent to be able to go on talk shows or to, if they're offered a role in a TV show or a movie or a a voiceover, like any of that stuff, they need their talent to be as multifaceted as possible so that if an opportunity comes along, they can say, oh yeah, I'll do that. Or somebody in the office can be like, oh yeah, why don't we get AJ for this? So shortly after Tough Enough, I uh, signed with a local talent agency in the San Francisco Bay Area and was like, you know, like send me out on auditions for anything. I'll take anything at this point. Like, I just want to get some more experience under my belt. I want to get good at other things so that I can beef up my pro wrestling resume and say, yeah, not only do I have all this experience within pro wrestling, but I've got all this experience in TV and movies and voiceovers and hosting and all this other stuff. So yes, it was a conscious decision to pursue other avenues of entertainment, but with the intention of using it to um, amplify my performance ability within pro wrestling. So pro wrestling was still the end all be all for me, but in seeking out other avenues of entertainment, I got more confident auditioning and performing in front of a camera. And I mean, if you were to look at my entertainment resume, there's like, I don't know, eight or 10 different things, like different genres of entertainment from commercials to voiceovers to hosting to like corporate expos and, you know, voiceover work and just a ton of different stuff, all of which is super fun. It's all still performing. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier about about uh, tough enough and everything. Like I had Eric Watts on here, and he mentioned like he kind of had to go through a very similar thing where it was like after that he kind of had to like reinvent what he was doing and who he was because he felt like oh I kind of have this shadow of tough enough over right. me. So you know right, and I didn't think I had a shadow over me. Um, Watts had a tougher go at it than I did though. Like Watts, you know 
Watts was was chewed up pretty good by the time Tough Enough was over. And uh, I didn't think I had to get out of the shadow of, of Tough Enough or wrestling, but I felt like that was like I can I can go to an agency and be like, hey, check it out. I was on this reality show that aired all over the world they saw something in me. Maybe you'll see something enough mm. in me so that you can send me out on projects to hopefully make the both of us some more money and get me some more entertainment experience. So I didn't see pro wrestling as like a shadow that I had to emerge out of. I saw tough enough specifically as like what could be the start of a new direction while still pursuing pro wrestling. Okay. And, uh, you know, this is, this seems like a question you would ask someone at the end of your career, which is not a thing, but I consider it a very valid question to you because you've, you've done a lot, as we mentioned so far in your career. Uh, I can't wait to hear this question. Uh, I want to know advice that you have, cause we have a lot of workers who watch this show. Uh, I don't know why, but for some reason they gravitate to what, to watching each other speak. But I would like to know any advice you have maybe for younger guys, especially in the Bay Area. You know, people call it the island. People don't get out of here. Thunder Rosa, I interviewed on her and she said, get out while you can. Like, she was very like, you need to leave. Um, what advice do you have for like helping younger guys on the indie scene, like get themselves out there and get out of this so-called island that we have, especially here in NorCal? Hmm. It's a good question. I... Um... <sighs> The island is going to stay an island unless we give everyone a reason to consider it otherwise. And I don't know. I think there's some cool shit happening here on the West Coast. I mean, between, you know, PWG down in L.A. for years and years was doing amazing. Uh, Bar wrestling was making some noise. Obviously, that's not around anymore. But, like, it was fun while it lasted. Um Best of the West in Fresno is doing great things. They've, I mean, they're, they've been around for years and they've had, uh, they've been on and off TV for a long time. And as we continue to work our way back up North, Hood Slam is like, I don't know what other indie shows are drawing across the country. You're not going to find many, if any, drawing more and making more buzz and more, like headlines and getting more exposure for the NorCal for all of the West coast wrestling scene than hood slam. Like when you look at the coverage that hood slams gotten, it's undeniable that hood slam is the star of West coast wrestling. But then if you go further up North, you've got like DOA in Portland, you've got three, two, one battle in Seattle, which again, I don't think is around anymore. I don't know. Um, somebody's gonna have to somebody right now is just like yelling at their computer i'm sure like trying up updating me on what's going on so i apologize i'm not like completely up to date on what is or isn't around anymore and plus it's been 10 months since there have been any shows like yeah. i don't know if some some companies have folded or or if they're just on hiatus or or what yeah. but anyway i think there's a lot to be proud of on the west coast as far as like as far as pro wrestling goes and i know the reputation is that it's you know Texas or maybe the East coast where, you know, and obviously Orlando is just the, the farm, the wrestling farm nowadays where everybody's just cranking out workers. But uh, yeah, the Island's going to stay an Island unless you give people a reason to consider it otherwise. So, and I love the West coast. I love the Bay area. Like I don't want to move this. It's great out here. 
California is known the world over as being just a destination in itself. And I don't want to leave California. If an enticing enough opportunity compels otherwise, I'll think about it when, when that time comes. But in the meantime, I would much rather build the West Coast into something that people start paying attention to uh, than just getting out while I can. And that's not like a slight on Thunder Rosa. She's doing amazing for herself, by the way. And like my sincere congratulations to her. But I, I think there's a lot to be proud of here on the West Coast. Very good. I love that. Um, all right, brother. The promoter has ran out. It's time to take it home. Oh, shit. I, Already? Okay. Yeah. This Sometimes this takes a while. By, by the way, it flew so, by. Oh, of course. Well, hopefully that's a good thing. That's uh, well, a good thing. It is. Okay. It is. Uh, so feel free to take as long or as little as you want on these questions. There's no like hard, you know, you don't need to be quick. But Okay. But I feel like the theme here is rapid fire. Kind of. Uh, okay. But let's go uh, just a few words about each of these people. Okay. The Rock. Electrifying, uh, unlimited charisma, biggest star in the world, and I'm very privileged to have worked with him on a number of occasions. Dark Sheik. Probably the greatest mind I've ever worked with in professional wrestling. Dave Dutra. One of the best comebacks I've ever seen. I forget how long he was gone, but he came back. Uh, he's in amazing shape. He was on AEW Dark not too long ago. Um, yeah, wrestling's better with Dave Dutra. And you guys are the Yolo County champions, so. That, well, former. Still too soon. By the way, Heavy Machinery, we're still waiting for our rematch, okay? We're still waiting for our rematch. I'm just, I'm just, I'm patient. I can be, I'm patient. I'm a patient person. I'm going to wait. And I'm gonna take a breath here real quick, too, and calm down, but we will get our rematch, goddammit. Anton Voorhees. One of my all-time best friends, probably my best friend in wrestling. Um, we just have so much fun together. Like we go out of your way to check out the match with me and Anton on my YouTube page. It is like silly and one of my all-time favorite matches. I, I can't say enough good things about, about Anton. Every chance I get to work with him and hang out with him is just a joy. The double bump on the point is very good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Obviously, you guys must nerd out about Legends of Zelda a lot together. A lot. Yes, we do. Yes. Uh, any favorite road stories that you have? Road stories? Uh, not really. No. I'm, I, was, I was always kind of boring on the road. Like, I'd be tired. I wouldn't want to hang out. I really wouldn't want to drink all that much. I did it, like, a little bit here and there early in my career because I, like, wanted to be one of the boys and you know, that's what you do after a show. You go out and you get some food and you drink or whatever. And so like, I, I did that when I felt like it was expected of me, but I mean, when there came a point where I was like, Oh yeah, I don't have to do this. Then I was just kind of like, I'm just going to go home and take a shower and <laughs> go to sleep. Maybe treat myself to some shitty food and, and let that be it. But like, I don't know if I should be a little bit embarrassed or what, but like, no, no, no real, like hilarious or harrowing road stories. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, what is your favorite mover hold that you do not use? Hmm. Oh, I need to think about that one. Favorite move or hold that I do not use. 
because all the moves I'm thinking of right now, I've like done at some point or on some regular basis. Shooting star press. It is when it's done, like, and I, I guess who's who's. I need to think of somebody's too because there's like different variations. I think Matt Seidel's is prettiest. Like when you can, you throw your head back and the arms like come out at the sides and the let. It's just it's it is truly just a mesmerizing beautiful maneuver that I will never have the guts to attempt ever. But one of my favorite shooting star presses back in the day was a uh, Bobby Quants. I'm not familiar. Bobby Qu- YouTube that as soon as we're done here. Yeah. He did like his was like, as he was stretched back, like his hands would be like right at his heels, like the whole time. Oh wow. So almost like a flying squirrel type thing. Yeah. It just looked, it just cool. looked pretty. It just looked pretty yeah. every time. Uh, that's, that's why I love it. It's just a pretty looking move. It's like, you can show that to anybody and somebody will be like, Whoa. Yeah. And even like, you know, stuff like um, Pox, like Black Arrow, like that stuff's super impressive, also. And oh, insane. God. But right. just the simplicity of how good a shooting star press looks, it's just. Right. Mm, so yeah. yeah. Good. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, finish this sequence. Drop down, leapfrog. Hmm. I know. I mean, arm drag is the, is the typical thing. And I was trying to think of something to be funny. Um, and I can't. So drop down, leapfrog. Yeah, nothing. Nothing's coming. I'm sorry. Arm drag. There's a moment to be funny. It's gone. Arm drag. I guess I just have to say arm drag. Drop down again. I'm just going to say drop okay. down again. The last person said drop uh, drop down, leapfrog, drop kick. So as he called oh, it, okay. he called it the hook bombberry special. Uh, the what? <laughs> hook bombberry. <laughs> hook bombberry? Yeah. I have a lot of questions now, but that's okay. That's, that's for another time. I'm very disappointed. I couldn't come up with something funny for drop down leapfrog. Yeah. Drop kick arm drag. That's one. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's going to bother me tonight. I'll, I'll message you later when I think of something clever and we can fix it in post. There you go. Uh, you're dealing with a lot of, uh, different fans, different places. What's some crazy fan interactions you've had? (laughs) Okay. Uh, one is, this is funny. So earlier today on the bros of social media, I shared a picture of when I signed some boobs, when I, uh, hood slam came to Reno. And then I was scrolling through pictures early, like older pictures for some reason. And I came, came across some pictures of me and PCW from probably around 2012. And there were like a bunch of little girls there, like, like six, seven, eight years old. And for some reason they wanted me to sign their forehead. So there's like, yeah, it was weird. They're like, there's a picture of me like kneeling down with this little girl, like holding her hair out of, out of her, holding her bangs, like off her forehead. And I'm writing my name on her forehead and like signing boobs, I guess is at least kind of a thing. It's like, you know, like a rock star or just like one of those moments where she's like, huh, I signed a pair of boobs. Awesome. I never thought I'd be signing a little girl's forehead. Oh, wrestling. You continue to just perplex and amaze me. Yeah, that's something you do. That's something uh, someone does to uh, like a passed out friend at like a party. Not <laughs> right, exactly, and probably not writing your name. Probably something far yeah. more like, "Hey, man, you got a, yeah, you got something on your face." Yeah. Um, and then if we fast forward to like the last couple of days, I did have some random person slide into my DMs on Instagram and ask if I have big feet. So. That's the thing. And I'm like, not knocking a foot fetish. If that's what you're into, that's great. But uh, 
kind of odd that that's like, it's not like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, I appreciate your work just straight, straight to, Hey, do you, do you have big feet? I should just message them back and be like, Hey, nice to meet you. Cut the bullshit. Here's my Venmo. If you want pictures of my feet, I'm once a worker, always a worker. Cut the bullshit. How's the feet look? Yeah. Like, right. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate you being up front. Yeah. You're going to end up on wiki feet soon. Watch out. <laughs> is that a thing? Oh, is that wiki is a, feet thing. a thing. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Now, now I have two things to Google after we're done here. There you What's go. What's the name of that dude with the shooting star press again? Bobby Quants. Bobby Quants and yeah. wiki feet. Got yeah, it. he wrestled at uh, he wrestled up here for a while. Then he went down to to a PWG in the early days. Okay, yeah, and then he quit wrestling. Uh, I think he went to quit to join the Marines. But he was like, right. he was awesome worker. He was amazing, and I was always like, you know, like you know how some workers you see them and you're like, oh, why did they stop? Like, man, sure, that yeah. he's one of those guys where. And then you see workers and you're like, oh my god, why are you still wrestling? <laughs> Hasn't somebody pulled you aside and been like, hey man, or hey girl? <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. It's been time. It's funny. I actually talked to a, an older wrestler the other day. Uh, he's like 50 something. And he's like, he's like, I should have, I should have stopped 15 years ago. He's like, I'll tell you right now. He's like, <laughs> he's like, it's like a drug. I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> Did he then like, go on to plug his show that's happening this weekend at the, you know, Moose Lounge or whatever, Moose Lodge <laughs> or whatever it is? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, besides hurting you. What's the uh, worst thing someone can do uh, when you're working with them in a match? Fart in the ring. Ooh, that's yeah. That I mean, <laughs> fart in the ring and then like put you in a hold where all you can do is just sit there and take it and just huff it in. Like you know, they if you fart in the ring and then it's like a rest hold or something and then you're just wallowing in it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. I don't think it's ever happened to me, but that's the first thing that came to mind. So, yeah. Hurting me is is one, and farting in the ring and then just settling into a rest hold would probably be number two. Hopefully it doesn't become a number two. Uh, when's the time that you were legitimately surprised by uh, someone in the ring? Uh, someone that you, maybe it was the first time you worked with them and the chemistry was just off the charts and you were like, I can't believe how easy this is. Or just someone just impressed you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in Hood Slam... Uh, for a long time, there was uh, a a camera operator by the name of Camera Guy. Nobody knew his name. Uh, he was just Camera Guy. And his name was uh, Idris. And um, just like, just shredded from head to toe, not an ounce of fat on him. And was always just like very, very unassuming. Like he had some like cool piercings in his face and stuff, but just very unassuming. Uh, it was a camera guy at, at hood slam, like ringside camera guy. And I forgot what the exact story was or what, <laughs> what, why, why he was going to be put into a match. But, uh, <laughs> some, you know, there was a promo cut or something and it was revealed that somebody's opponent was going to be camera guy. And it was announced like camera guy and then the pl- price is right music started playing like the do 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 and he like puts the camera down and he's like freaking out like he's just like he's about to be on price is right like he's clapping and his face is just like absolutely elated and like had a really good match and the crowd was like chanting camera guy camera guy and just like for somebody who went from just being 
like kind of a hidden part of the performance because you're not supposed to really see the camera people. They're just supposed to hold the camera and stay out of the way. So to go from that and to go to just such an animated over the top like moment in the show, I will always remember that moment, the look on his face and the crowd chanting, camera guy, camera guy. Um, remember less about the match, but like just the way Idris just embodied that moment and he made it, he made it more than it would have been otherwise. So in that moment, he really stood out and impressed me. Uh, has a booker tried to stiff you on money? And if so, what were some fun excuses as to why they were doing so? Not to my face, but uh, when I was um, still super green in like 2005 or something, I think it was a show in like Clear Lake, California or something. And I was with uh, the PCW guys. And then they were also working closely with uh, all pro wrestling guys at the time. And Kafu, who I'm sure you remember, a giant Brazilian dude with long hair and would be in this like caveman loincloth and, you know, Hungry, horny, hurt, which was, I think, his his mantra. Um, and the promoter brought us in. And I remember specifically one of the performers that the promoter was pushing as, like, the main event draw was just the most backyard, awful, like, trash bag wrestler you've ever seen. It just came out and did, like, Randy Orton's thing. And I remember specifically, I can't believe I still remember this after, like, 16 years but the promoter was like, oh, my God, he comes out and he does Randy Orton's thing better than Randy Orton does it. And when I saw it, it was like, <laughs> dude, this is bad. This is awful. I can't. And like, I'm still green. So I'm just I'm just excited to be there. And um, actually, if I remember correctly, it was my very first main event, too. It was me and Mr. Primetime in the main event. And uh, we end up hanging out for a while because we didn't get paid. And then uh, Kafu went back and had a talk with the promoter and uh, a couple, maybe several minutes, like, uh, 10 minutes later or something, um, we got paid and we got hotel a hotel for the evening. So I don't mm. know what Kafu said. <laughs> I don't remember who else was with Kafu, if anybody, but um, it didn't take long for us to be taken care of that evening. Wow, that's a... Yeah, good guy to have in your corners with Kafu in this situation, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, it just it's funny that you like you said you were, you can't believe you remember like 16 years ago something that bad. But it's like bad wrestling is like is like bad improv where it's like Oh, yeah. If it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm still cringing about that moment. And like I can see this guy who's like never worked out in his life. He was maybe like 17 years old in this like head to toe black under armor, like long sleeves with fingerless gloves and these black sunglasses and just coming out and just going like, like they're the, the coolest thing since sliced bread. Like they, they, in their mind, they made the NWO look like dog shit. And it just was ugh. like, I, I can still see it as clear as, as I can see you right now. And it's just like, Oh my God. That was one of those moments where I was like, what did I get my, what world is this that I'm in right now? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask this question, although it might be this exact same thing you just described. So uh, what is the worst gimmick you've ever seen? Hmm. That's going to require some thought because as you and I have alluded to quite recently, wrestling can be 
bad. So, so, so bad. Worst gimmick I've ever seen. <sighs> On any show? Just, yeah, any. Maybe that one. Maybe, maybe that one. I'm trying to think of something that was done in, like, poor taste. Um... I don't know. Vince McMahon booking himself against God. That, that comes out. That comes to mind pretty quickly. Katie Vick was awful. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with those. Those were just like, dude, that made me embarrassed to watch wrestling. When a wrestling fan is embarrassed to watch wrestling, that's when you know it's really bad. Yeah. I love, I love, showcasing anything like that to a non-wrestling fan because non-wrestling wrestling stuff out of context is always very funny like i just picture myself i was i much like yourself big Shawn michaels mark when i was younger sure and i'm just picturing myself as a child going to school remember those shirts that they used to have where you they would just have the wrestler on it like oh god yeah yeah <laughs> so i'm just imagining like someone who doesn't know anything about wrestling just seeing why does this nine-year-old <laughs> boy have have a grown man in basically yes. what amounts to a village people outfit with right, a leather yes. hat, his chest hair out, and right. like chains, chains and, it's, and like a heart on it, sexy yeah. boy, and all the sunglasses. Stuff. Yeah, like, and it's awful. like I'm just I'm just like a nine year old boy with this on my shirt, huge, and like right. what what is anyone like what is my teacher like when I walk in going like what's yeah. happening right now yeah it's like this is my favorite wrestler what's the big deal <laughs> what he's cool brett, right <laughs> brett hart with the leather glasses like the the glasses he's all shiny the leather jacket with like the fringe on the shoulders it's like what is this kid into <laughs> it's like, like they grow very, fast man they grow fast yeah uh so funny uh what about yeah. some overused gimmicks I remember for a long time in the early 2000s, um, everyone was raving for a while. Uh, everyone had jean shorts and the cut-off black t-shirt. Uh, a lot of people were stone cold in it for a while. Uh, sure. What have you noticed? Some overused gimmicks. Uh, I'm really sick of any nationality-based gimmick. Like, it's lazy. It's cheap heat. It preys on people's tribalism which is just there's enough of that already like if if that's how you have to get heat then you're not working hard enough like like get people invested in a character that's not you know i'm gonna boo you because you're from another country like get fucked um so that if that never happened again that'd be great uh honestly i think if anybody's just trunks and kick pads like just if your gimmick is just wrestler, I, I I don't know. I need a reason to care. And I realize it's a little bit hypocritical because like in a, on AEW Dark, I, I was just trunks and, and, you know, trunks and boots wrestler. I wasn't expecting to wrestle, but rule number one, always bring your gear. Um, so I don't know if I were, if I were to come back to wrestle on a regular basis, I would spend an, inordinate amount of time coming up with some type of character um, that would instantly make somebody care because I don't really care about just tights and boots wrestler. Give me a reason to care. Uh, that doesn't mean you need to be fucking TL Hopper or Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Like you don't need to be some 
somebody who has a job and is for some reason also a professional wrestler. But if you can do that, right, right. That's it. Just have some personality. Like I want to see your personality through your gear, through the way you perform. Um, and like, and that's to say, like, if I were to wrestle as Brosif, you'd see a completely different, like vibe in the ring. Um, but because I was AJ Kirsch, I was like, okay, well I'm going to go out there and wrestle. But yeah, that's, I think if like if you're just a wrestler, I think you need to be more than that. Yeah, there was a time, especially in the like 2008 around WWE at the time they were when they were doing a lot of athlete hirings. They were like, "You played college football. You're now a wrestler." Uh, right. That kind of thing. There was a lot of dudes who were just like, "Here's Dave." Um, it sounds Dave Smith obviously is already a wrestler, so it's a bad well, example. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, right. it's just like here's a generic white guy name. Come out, generic white man with your with your tights and trunks. You're jacked to the gills, and you can't cut a promo to save your life. Enjoy. Right. <laughs> right. Like one one like I I, I uh, enjoy Jack Swagger's work, like uh, Jake Hager in, in AEW, but his his he just came out in a singlet, and he was hired because he was an amazing wrestler uh like for lack of a better term uh real wrestler um just incredibly gifted athlete with a name like jack swagger i would have thought that it would go to somebody with that's just a little bit more animated as a character and you know i feel like the role that jack swagger had in wwe was it was fine i mean he was always a kind of upper mid card talent former world heavyweight champion but with a name like Jack Swagger, I imagine a character that's just like so over the top and so larger than life. And the Jack Swagger I saw in WWE wasn't that. And I'm not saying that as a knock on him. I'm just saying that maybe, you know, somebody's impressive athletic background isn't enough to make me care. Why should I care about you now? Like you could be valedictorian of, I mean, WWE had a Harvard graduate. Great. Why should I care about what you do between those ropes? Yeah, I feel like uh, Jake Hager, it's only recently where I'm like, this is the character he should have been for right, a long time. Right, And if you look at his promos and just the way that he carries himself, it's far more as a performer, I think. Because in WWE, he was, I mean, he was still kind of green in WWE. He was still very young in his career. Again, amazing collegiate wrestler, but still, I think, getting acquainted with how to perform. And, you know, it's he's grown by leaps and bounds since then. And, like, to see his stuff now in AEW is great. But, like, Jack Swagger is just <laughs> such a cool, like, it's like a, I don't know. It's, it's a larger-than-life name. And the character yeah. that had that name just wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, for this uh, question, you don't have to name any names. Uh, but... Anton, <laughs> when you're working uh, a lot of different indie shows or working on bigger shows, uh, there's a lot of big names, quote unquote, you know, former WWE, WCW, all those guys. Uh, sure. Were any of them that just seemed to rub you the wrong way, just kind of acted like they were, they were bigger than the show? Do you just kind of thought, oh, well, you know, they say don't meet your heroes or maybe don't meet someone of, of stature. But you're like, ah, oh, man, I wasn't what I was hoping for. Hmm. No, not really. I mean, you know, if, if you're backstage at WWE is extra talent and, you know, wrestling etiquette tells you that you need to shake everybody's hand. And I'm sure 
the WWE superstars and everybody else probably backstage or in that locker room are just like, oh, Christ, I got to shake all these kids' hands. And, like, you know, they're going to be super nervous and I may not want to actually give them the time of day or whatever. And that's not a knock on them. That's just, like, they have a million other things to do. Um, but wrestling etiquette says shake everybody's hand. So, like, everybody who whose hand I went to shake shook mine back and, like, looked me in the eye and and – at least acknowledged my presence at the time. Um, and same at AEW. And and like at AEW, it's actually a little bit more relaxed backstage. I, I, I felt like I wasn't walking on eggshells as much as I did at WWE. Um, and I think that's a reflection of the people who just make up the roster and the culture at AEW. Um, but no, nobody that was like, Nobody that I ever felt like big leagued me or, or just like completely ignored me. Um, you know, and i also granted, I was careful about when I did stuff like that. If somebody was on their phone, like either on a call or texting or whatever, like I wasn't going to break their concentration or, or interrupt somebody. But if I was passing Seamus in the hallway, I'd reach out my hand and shake him and introduce myself real quick. Yeah. Uh, th- there was a guy on here who, uh, he was he, Apollo Khan. I, I don't know. Do you know Apollo Khan? Oh, sure, I remember Apollo yeah. Khan. Yeah. So he got some advice from Donovan Morgan. He told the story on this podcast where he uh, was told to keep to himself when he went to the WWE tryout. Um, mm. Guess how that di- went? Uh, Not great. Yeah, uh, he had to wrestle with Bill DeMott, and uh, the stories anyone's ever told about Bill DeMott really came through in that match because he got the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. Yeah. Well, uh, and that's. That sucks when you get bad advice like that because then you're like, what did I do? Like, how, why do I have heat? I was told one thing and like, you know, they, they expect another. And so, you know, get advice from as many different people as you can and then make your best judgment call. Do not just get advice or instruction from one person. Let's go to the positive spin of this question. Okay. Big, big name player. Maybe someone who comes into a hood slam or another promotion. I, for instance, my friend who has never seen Hood Slam, I showed him the video of MVP smoking weed in the wing and, and Hood Slam, and he thought it was the greatest thing ever. So yeah. big names that you encountered that you're like, man, this guy's awesome. I love this. He came, he came to mind. Absolutely. MVP did. He's cool as fuck. Um, you know, you mentioned the phrase, never meet your heroes because they're just going to let you down. The antithesis of that is Mick Foley. Mick Foley is one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in or out of wrestling. So if you ever are, are lucky enough to meet that man, um, from my experience, he is going to make you feel like the most important person in the world for as long as he talks to you. Um, let's see. Who else? Jerry Lynn? Probably another just on the small list of nicest guys in wrestling. Um, and you know who's actually super cool to me backstage at WWE when he really didn't need to be? was Paul Heyman. Um, I, I introduced myself to him um, and he uh, like allowed me to like sit with him and catering. And I, we just kind of shot the shit for a little while. And it was like, I was nervous. Like, I don't, I've never spent any time around Paul Heyman. He's a freaking legend. Um, you know, one of, if not the best promo of all time. And, you know, you can start arguing right now about Actually, I'm going to ask you after I'm done with this little rant who you think the best promo of all time is. Mm. Uh, I think Heyman's top two or three, probably. But, you know, 
he's busy. He's got a lot of shit to do. He didn't need to give me the time of day, but he did. And when he was at work and I will always appreciate that about Paul Heyman. Very good. Uh, yeah. Heyman's up there with promo. Uh, I always, I always, of course, you know, the Flair, Arn Andersons, that's kind of goes without saying. It's kind of hard not sure. to mention them. You know, they're, they're great pretty much every time. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, of course. But I always thought like underrated, especially because in the whole Sean Brett of it all, a lot of people like uh, kind of cast aside Brett as like, oh, but he's like more boring than Shawn Michaels. But I always thought Bret Hart underrated promo like completely. I always thought you believed what he said. Yeah, he, he did he was, too. Yeah, he was serious, but like, not in a way where you're like, okay, this is boring. Right, like, right. He was I serious the way that I imagine he he treats wrestling. He 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 cut his promos the way he wrestles, where he's he's very stoic. But I think some of his best promo work was when he just lost it. Like, frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it. This is bullshit. Like that, I think it was early 97 when they were just starting to like do more attitude and more kind of reality driven stuff. Like, God, I believed. Like, when that promo happened, I was like, ooh, Mm -hmm. somebody's in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Brett, very underrated. And a guy who. These days he annoys the shit out of me, but Jim Cornette is just God. He was a good promo. It's yeah. <laughs> he annoys me yeah. now, but man. the devil is due. He can talk. He can definitely talk. Speaking of those, like you mentioned, the, the start of the Attitude era, era, like when they just had him go on and basically shoot on like random people on Raw. Gold, gold. Oh, I still remember Phil Mushnick. I still remember him talking about <laughs> Phil Mushnick, the the freaking uh, news guy I've never heard of in my life, but being captivated, him bitching about this guy for five minutes straight. I was just like, yeah, yeah, fuck this guy, yeah. Right, <laughs> and never like stumbling, never like misspeaking. Like he enunciated every word, but he did it so quickly that it was like, whoa, it was like a whirlwind tirade and... Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he's out of his fucking mind uh, about a couple things, maybe more than a couple things, but his ability to talk is absolutely undeniable. Yeah, I think at this point he's kind of uh, going that Alex Jones route where I'm like, I don't know if he actually believes everything he's even saying at this point. Right. Or uh, maybe he knows his brand is just him being fucking Looney Tunes about fill in the blank. Like, yeah. people are waiting for him to go off and shit tweet and all this other stuff. And he's. I think he's too smart to not realize that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I will say uh, as a seg- as a little digression, uh, I had to do. We've been doing putting out matches on our YouTube channel, like old school Barry wrestling matches and stuff. Cool. And uh, I've been doing commentary on them, and I have a whole new respect for everything that you do and other people do do commentary because I'll tell you right now, man, was that a was that a rough go for a little bit? I was like, this is this is tough. Right. Yeah. I don't think I don't think people give it give commentators the credit they deserve as far as like being able to call the moves, know when to stop calling moves and start telling the story of the match. And like, really the the whole point is to make the people care. They're, they are threaded into this story that the wrestlers are telling and the commentators are there to make people care. And that's hard to do, especially if what's happening in the ring is less than stellar. All right, back to the questions. The hardest you've laughed at an indie show. <laughs> uh, uh, I was uh, doing commentary at Hood Slam, and um, there was there's there's a match there's a match coming up with uh, Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. 
who is played by uh, the talent Ian Hansmant. Um, <laughs> um, so funny. Uh, Scorpion was going through a bit of an identity crisis for a while at Hood Slam, where Scorpion would dress up as... Uh, Cammy from Street Fighter. Scorpion would dress up as Mega Man. Scorpion would dress up as David Bowie, as the Goblin King from, what is it, Labyrinth, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's from? Yep. Um, like, Scorpion would uh, just dress up as any number. He, he was going through an identity crisis, right? And so he was, he was coming out for a match. And uh, for some reason, my music hit... And I was unaware that I was supposed to be wrestling that night. I was just supposed to say, let's bring out his opponent. And so my music hits and I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Like I I take my shirt off. I'm starting to take the mic off. I'm like, I guess I'm wrestling tonight. Uh, Hopefully the people in the ring tell me what's going on because I don't know fucking anything. And then I feel a presence walk behind me and it's Ian dressed as Scorpion, dressed as Brosif. And I lost my shit. I was like doubled over in laughter because it's like the wrist, the armbands, the like board shorts, this like obnoxious tank top that was like a cat in space or something. And the ball cap tilted off to the side, but with the Scorpion mask and the hood on. That's amazing. It was, and I had no idea what was happening. This rib had been planned for hours. I even remember like in the booking meeting where Sam just kind of glanced over it where he's like, okay. And then we've got uh, Scorpion. You guys, you guys know what you're doing there. Right. And they're just like, yeah, we got it. And so I was just like, okay. Um, so I had no idea that was coming. And so when he, when I saw uh, Ian as Scorpion, as me, I, I, that is by far the hardest I've ever laughed at an indie show. It was Amazing. Uh, who's got the hardest chop that you've taken? Billy Blade comes to mind first. Eric Watts um, said the same thing. <laughs> oh, God. They're, they're, I don't know how he does it, but he gets the palms of 10 men into his one, and it's, it, is, it is his gift and everybody else's curse that Billy Blade throws the hardest chops I've ever felt. And uh, let's just finish it off with this. I call it the touchy-feely question of the podcast. It is your pure joy in wrestling, whether it be something before, during, or after a match. The thing that gives you the goosebumps where you're like, I fucking love this business. This is why I love wrestling. Mm. Uh, So two things came to mind first. First, it's the moment between me announcing myself from backstage and my music hitting and then getting out there. And then as sweet as that, and this is specifically at Hood Slam, by the way. And then just because that crowd is unlike anything I've ever performed of, performed in front of ever. And also just, I'm just such a fan of the, the product that I, it's just nothing excites me um, more than Hood Slam does as far as like indie wrestling. Um, but then I have the same phrase that I use to launch every Hood Slam. And it's happened so many times that the crowd will be there with me. Every Mm -hmm. word, the cadence with which I say it. And there's a moment where it's just 
the, the crescendo of kicking off Hood Slam with the band playing and me yelling at the top of my lungs and knowing that I'm just seconds away from like just raging at this pro wrestling party. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Like it's that for me, kicking off Hood Slam is my joy in wrestling. And I don't know what the future has for me as far as like bigger opportunities or whatever. But as of the time of this interview, kicking off Hood Slam is my joy in wrestling. Uh, there's one you have. It's I, I call it like the extended version of it. Um, you're 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 in costume, and it's where. Oh you, yeah, Tinker Bro. Yeah, and uh, that one I showed it to a couple of friends of mine who had never been to Hood Slam, and I was just like, "There's this show. Once things are back up, you guys got to check this out." I was like, "I just want you to see how this crowd interacts," and. It starts off and they were, were, of course, laughing at everything you're saying, you know, we don't give a fuck what color you are, who you're going to fuck, blah, blah, what's between your legs. And then you then the crowd joins in with the the latter part and then you jump and then the crowd and, the, and my friend just goes, wow. Cool. He was oh, like, that's so cool. He was like, holy shit, man, that is that is showmanship. He's like, wow. He's like, we got to go. And I was like. That's so fucking cool. One that that you would choose that clip to show to your friends to be like, here's why you need to check it out. And to uh, have that just kind of first impression on somebody from from that that promo in particular. Like I've I've cut a lot of good promos in my career, but like in this process of just kind of checking off bucket list matches and and you know, just reflecting on my career over the last 10 months as I'm sure a lot of us have, I can point to that promo and say, that's the best promo of my career and my favorite promo of my career. And for those of you who may not be familiar with what I'm talking about, just plug in hood slam. We don't care in YouTube and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And it like, if I can provide a little bit of context for the promo yeah. too, I'm in full drag as tinker bro or drinker bell, depending on which, which one you, you prefer um, because it was Hood Slam's drag night called Femmed Out. And it's when, you know, all the all the men dresses women. And um, it's like, it was in February of 2017. It was the first Hood Slam after Trump had taken office. And I don't know what your rules on politics are for this podcast. But all I'm going to say is, fuck Trump. Uh, and when he took office, a lot of people were like scared that, that things were going to, you know, burn essentially like people. Yeah. But were, four were... years later, everything's fine. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it's just fine. Just, just power wash it. It'll be good. Yeah, And, and, right. and everything went happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. Continue. But, but like. I, I I was like, it's a drag show. It's the first show after Trump had taken office. Like, I feel like I need to put this out there that says Hood Slam is not a place where we are going to judge you on any of those things for which you might find yourself judged over the next four years. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I like I said, it's my favorite promo of my career. I think it's my best promo of my career. And, you know, obviously I'm speaking just for myself. I'm breathing a sigh of relief that Trump is no longer in office. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about that promo and it's like, I mean, check it out, check it out. Please check it out. Like it's, it's really important to me. 
And so for you, again, to sh- pick that promo to show to people, to be like, here's why you need to come to Hood Slam, just hits me right in the feels. All right, brother, please put yourself over. Where can people I'm the you? shit! I'm a... Ma- oh, oh, sorry. Where can people check out your stuff? Maybe uh, pick a match or two you want people to check out specifically, just... You know, social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, all that good stuff. Um, well, we already talked about it, but a lot of my matches, those bucket list matches that I talked about are on my YouTube, which is youtube.com slash I am AJ Kirsch. Um, let's see. Twitter and Instagram are both at AJ Kirsch. That's K-I-R-S-C-H. Facebook, if you still use it, I know it's like what the old people use, but I'm 30 fucking seven, so I still use Facebook. So facebook.com slash I am AJ Kirsch. I'm also on Twitch. Um, I just started streaming God of War on the PlayStation 4. And uh, I also do at-home workouts on Twitch a couple of times a week. So if you're, like, having a hard time getting motivated with working out at home, um, tune in. My workouts have no equipment. All you need is enough space to do, like, a push-up or a squat. And it's accessible to all fitness levels. So please follow me on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash AJKirsch. Um, and if you want to, let's see, how can you support bro wrestling for 50 ish shirt designs storefrontiercom slash AJ Kirsch for all the shirts that pro wrestling tees can't put up because they got a season desist for using NWO inspired designs. And I think Jack Daniels and Harley Davidson also gave them some shit. Um, and you can also sign up to my Patreon, patreon.com slash AJ Kirsch. Um, however you choose to support, if you choose to support, it would really mean a lot right now, especially during COVID. Like I make made my living as a live event host, um, combat sports announcer, you know, actor, and almost all those things are like fucking gone and have been gone for a long time. So I've been able to make ends meet with merchandise with Twitch. So if you're in a position to support, I would appreciate it very much. But if not, Hey, I get it. It's tough times right now for a lot of people. And if you're going through tough times right now, then hang in there because we're vaccines coming out. Like there does look like there's some light at the end of the tunnel. So I'll hang in there. If you hang in there. Very good note to end on. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me.